Well, thank you, choir. In your Bible today, the book of Genesis, chapter number 8. The book of Genesis, chapter 8, in your Bible, please. And before we uh, read the Scripture, I, I left my home this morning. I was running a little late, and uh, usually I meet several cars. And man, I didn't, there wasn't a person that had even wiggled it didn't appear. I mean, uh, the, the cars were in their driveways, and they all had frost on the windows, and I drove, and there wasn't any approaching traffic. I could have driven anywhere in the middle of the road. I wanted to. Nobody was stirring. I came by. There wasn't any businesses that looked like there was much happening, if anything. And I thought, boy, there's not going to be anybody at church today. All the signs are on the horizon here. And I drove down here, and here's the parking lot, and it's pretty well filled with people. And I just wanted, I tell you, I just had a burst of joy. You ever have a burst of joy? Some of you haven't had one, I can tell you. I haven't ever seen any evidence of it. But at any rate, I had a burst of joy. I just said, praise God, that's wonderful. The only place moving in town is the Florence Baptist Temple right now. And I was, I was thrilled with that. And I, I say that because I want to encourage you. And I want to thank you. And I want you to know that I noticed and that praise God for you because our our attendance and our faithfulness encourages each other, doesn't it? Sure it does. If, if, uh, if, when we have a good number of people, we say, well, you know, we got a lot of people that have their heart in this thing. So I just wanted to stop and use a minute of time here and say, praise God for you. Thank you for your faithfulness today. Now, the book of Genesis, chapter 8, and Noah has just gotten off of the ark and the flood is over, and if you'll stand, we'll read about it. Verse 20, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. And I backed up a couple of verses here because I want to provide some context. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and he took of every clean beast and every clean fowl. You remember God divided the animals into the clean and the unclean. And so... Noah took of every clean beast and every clean fowl. He offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, back in chapter 6, it says that before the flood... But it, he, God continues to say that. The imagination, the thinking processes of our heart is evil from our youth. And God said, neither will I smite anymore every living, uh, everything living as I've done. And then our text today. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. You may be seated. <clears throat> I will never forget September the 11th, 2001, and I'm sure you won't. We look back on it now, and we just refer to it as 9-11. I, 
and my wife were down in Brazil, on the coast of Brazil, I'd been speaking to a uh, pastor's retreat. And pastors had come from all over that country to get together for a few days and talk about church growth and evangelism and things like that. And we woke up that morning, and there was the news. And uh, they get CNN down there, an English version of it. And so I watched the plane fly into the tower and all the mayhem that followed that. And I was as shocked and disturbed by that, I'm sure, as you were. First the first plane, and then a few minutes later the second plane. And it hit the two towers of the World Trade Center. The World Trade Center it was, the, was a very symbolic target. They chose that for its symbolism. Because the World Trade Center soared 112 stories above the streets in New York. It was a symbol of our economic power, our financial prosperity, the fact that America was the richest nation on the earth, how we had been prospered and blessed, how successful we were in a material sense. And what a symbol. In just one hour, those towers lay in a fiery pile of twisted steel, disintegrating concrete dust, and a whole, and the body parts of 3,000 of our fellow citizens. 200 and some miles away in Washington, D.C., the Pentagon, a different kind of symbol, but a very powerful symbol nonetheless. The Pentagon, the symbol and the brain center of America's military might. And the plane came in there at almost 200 miles an hour. It hit what is known as the world's largest building. You've seen the pictures of the Pentagon, circle after circle or hexagon, I guess, after each other. And the plane hit it and a gaping hole almost 100 yards wide. Fortunately, only about 100 and some people died. It could have been thousands. And we watched it now attacked. And it didn't take us long to figure out, is anyone or anything safe anywhere anymore in America? And it was such a stark contrast because we thought we were invincible. And we sure learned otherwise in just a few minutes of time, did we not? And people began to say, life as we know it in America has changed forever. And those who said that were accurate in what they said. Life has changed in America, and it changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, when those planes hit, life changed in America. That's my first illustration. My second is you fast forward and you come up to the late uh, part of 2019. And I begin to see reports on the news of uh, some unknown virus over in China in Hunan province. People were getting sick. They were dying. There were all kinds of strange reports. People were being locked into buildings and the doors welded shut. They couldn't get out. Obviously, the country was in a panic of what to do. 
with some people, this virus seemed to be a light illness. To others, it was fatal. And we began to hear those reports, and then it spread to other places. And then we heard about one nursing home in Washington State. And over 100 elderly people died when they contracted that virus. And then there began to be confusion because the medical authorities that we depended on for our very health and life and well-being were all offering such contradictory information. One person, one agency would say one thing and another something else. And so there was a death of truth about it. We didn't know who to believe. All these confusing and contradictory statements. And there were people, though, who saw this as a great opportunity. And boy, they jumped on it. I preached at the beginning of last year, just a year ago right now, a series of seven or eight messages from a book called The Great Reset. And The Great Reset is written by one of the leading globalists in all of the world, a German who lives in Europe now, a professor. But he wrote this book, and basically he said, it's time to reset everything everything in our culture, and we can do better than what we're doing, and so we need a new financial system. We need new laws. We need a new code of morality. We need to reorder and restructure even the family itself, the old order of a nuclear family, father, mother, children. It's not, not adequate anymore. Change all the laws. Change all the practices. Forget religion. It has no role in modern life, whatever. Reset everything. Eliminate national borders. Don't have any borders. Have one global state was the essence of his book. And I preached on it, and my soul, I'm seeing so much of that book come into fruition, come to pass in just this past year. And so, again, the world will never be the same. Massive, massive change, rapid change, overwhelming change. And we know that human beings, as God created us, don't do well if the change is too fast and too great, that it unsettles us. It makes us insecure. Everything, and when everything seems to be changing, as it does right now, it just pulls the foundations out from under us if we don't check our thinking pretty often. Now, I want to tell you today, everything has not changed. Everything has not changed. I want to remind you that God has not changed, the God that we worship, the God I knelt and prayed to, the God you sung about, the God that you came today to hear from, that God has not changed one iota. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. And the book of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, change not. God has not changed. God's character will not and cannot change. God's behavior is predictable, and that's why you study and try to learn all you can about Him, because His, his behavior is entirely predictable. He keeps His promises. The book of Titus says He cannot lie. If He lied, there would be the universe would fall apart. 
God is bound by his word. His integrity is more than 100% by human calculation. Now, I want you to really hear this. As great as God is as the creator, he has voluntarily and willingly made himself accountable to us because he wants us to know that he's predictable. He wants us to know that he's dependable, responsible, reliable, that he keeps his word. So God has made himself accountable to us. And you say, how has he done that? Well, he's done that through his word. But he's also done it in another way. He's done it through natural laws, universal laws and principles. Universal laws and principles enable us to see that God has kept his word, and therefore we can depend upon him even right now. And so I go to Genesis chapter 8 again in verse 22, and he is holding himself accountable to his own laws. And while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, it will never cease. God says, you can count on it. The cycles of life, the cycles of day and night, they're going to always go on. And so you get up every morning, and predictably, the sun comes up, and in the evening, predictably, the sun goes down day and night. And in the fall, it begins to get cool, and in the winter, it gets cold, and in the spring, it warms up, and in the summer, there's heat. And it's always been, and it always will be like that. You know, a, a preacher, you kind of get some stuff through the years that come to you, <laughs> kind of make you, you laugh, but you can't laugh when people say it to you. It would offend them. But one of the things people have said to me, I guess a hundred times in my life, uh, in my ministry years, is, now, preacher, you know, when we come near the end of time, you're not going to be able to, keep, keep, uh, you're not going to be able to tell the seasons one from another. And I just smile, and I said, you better check that, because right there it says, as long as time remaineth, while the earth remaineth, there's going to be summer and winter, and it's going to get cold, and it's going to get hot. <laughs> I promise you, don't believe that old bit of, uh, of, of fireside doggerel wisdom, you know. I promise you that the seasons, the cycles are going to continue. And the one I'm looking at there is the law of seed time and harvest, the law of seed time and harvest, the cycle of planting, and then of reaping, the law of seed time and harvest. We've got this big statue, I think very impressive, I'm so proud of that, on the front yard that commemorates 50 years of us sowing and reaping here. And it commemorates this very cycle right here. Every time you drive up there, you could think of Genesis 8 and 22. God has promised there's always going to be a time to sow, and there's going to be a time to reap. The statutes of the sower says the law of seed time and harvest is going to endure. Now, that law is a law of cause and effect, if you think about it, a law of cause and effect. And by that, I mean, if I do A, then B is going to follow, right? Y'all hear me? 
Amen? Oh, me? Mm-hmm. If I do A, then B will always follow. So if I plant an apple seed, under normal conditions, I'm going to get apples. It's the law of cause and effect, the law of seed time and harvest. And by the way, the opposite is true. If I don't plant the seed, there won't be any harvest. You know, people talk about, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. I'm waiting for better times. I'm waiting for the crop. I'm waiting for good things to come to me. Well, let me tell you something. You can't expect the ship to come in if you never send it out. And uh, you don't wait for it unless you have sent it out. You don't reap unless you sow. Now, having said that, I want to show you how this law, the law of seed time and harvest, applies to several different areas in your life. And I hope you'll listen carefully because I think it will help you. Number one, the law of seed time and harvest in our relationships. Have you ever thought about your relationships themselves are based upon the sowing and reaping principle, the law of seed time and harvest? I have had people say to me so many times, and you have too, I just don't have any friends. Well, my question is, are you sowing friendly seeds? Because the Bible in the book of Proverbs 18 and 24 says, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. I understand why some people don't have a friend. They don't have a smile. They look at you, and it's a glare. It's not a smile. You know what a smile does? It relaxes the people around you. The people around you, when you smile at them, it says, I accept you. I'm not your enemy. I want to be your friend. It starts with a smile. It starts with being friendly, planting the seed of friendliness. It has to do with kindness and with love, with helpfulness. If If I'm planting the seeds of friendship, and a good relationship, you know what? Most people, not everybody, but most people are going to respond to that, aren't they? Most people are going to respond to that. And so the question is today, if I want friends, I must show myself friendly. I must show kindness. I must be open to people. And if I want good relationships, I've got to plant the seeds that produce relationships. And then I think about the law of seed time and harvest, and I apply it in the whole area of material things. And so somebody says, well, if I could just make more money, if I could just make more money, we, have you thought about planting the seeds that produce money? There are some seeds that you can control in your hand. You may not be able to determine exactly how much money, but I can tell you the law of seed time and harvest works in the material and the physical world. If you'll plant the seeds from which money grows, you'll probably increase your crop. And what are those seeds? Well, you've got to work hard, labor. The seed of labor produces a growth in material prosperity. Proverbs 14 and 23. In all labor, there is profit. God says if you work and you work hard, it will profit you. But listen to this. But the talk of the lips tendeth to penury. Penury is poverty. You know what God is saying? If you will really work, it will profit you, and you, you will reap the harvest 
of uh, material things, if you'll labor, if you'll work hard. But if you just stand around and talk about it, the talk of the lips, that will tend to poverty. You have to act on it. Labor is one of the seeds. Loyalty is another seed. Loyal to your obligations. Dependability. Showing your uh, employer uh, that you are, are, are dependable and reliable. And then there's the area of responsibility. Can you really be counted on in your job to do your part? Are you carrying your part of the labor every time the boss turns his head? Are you loafing? You know, that when you work and you're responsible and you're loyal, you're going to, you're going to reap a crop from that, ultimately. I wish you all were more enthusiastic about this. I tell you, what I'm telling you will work. It's a law. I was at the grocery store the other day, and man, the place was busy. I guess everybody thought we were going to have bad weather or something. And first of all, half the things I went there for, they didn't even have them. I went to get five things. I got two at one store, went to another and got two, and I was after a whole chicken, and there wasn't a whole chicken in the whole world. And so um, I said to the lady as she was checking me out, I said, hey, um, man, it's a madhouse in here. Y'all pretty busy, aren't you? And she said, yeah. And she looked at me with this, you know, real stressful expression on her face. And she said, you know, we hire people and they promise and they won't even show up the second day. And then she said, you can't depend on people to come I just don't know what we're going to do. We just don't have enough people working, and we don't have the, the stuff we need to sell to people. And she was, I mean, the poor woman was just absolutely stressed out, I could tell. Well, that's a great opportunity right now for people who will just work, who will be trustworthy, who will be loyal, who will be responsible, who will have integrity, who will keep their word, who when it's time to show up will show up. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure all this out, folks. We've got a declining society because we don't play with, or we don't work with the laws that God has set up. The law of seed time and harvest. It also applies to the area of stewardship. And we've been studying stewardship in Sunday school. We've been trying to share with you ways to use the money that God has blessed you with so that you get the most out of it. I, those lessons are so very, very instructive. Much of that material was taken from the uh, Dave Ramsey uh, series that we teach here periodically. And you know the thing about that? It's all based on God's law of seed time and harvest, of sowing and reaping. And I could have 25 testimonies right now of people who took that course and went in there and overwhelmed by debt and financial problems, and they've given us glowing testimonies over and over of what it did for them and how that they have managed to reduce or eliminate debt in their life, how that God is blessing them. Now, all of them are not multimillionaires, but I mean God is blessing them. Because the law of seed, time, and harvest applies in our stewardship. 
I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi is the book right before the New Testament starts. And we often use this verse, but it's been a few years since I've gone there. And I want you to read it with me, a short passage here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Now, this is an interesting book. It's written, the people are asking God a question. He answers and then asks them one back. And it goes back and forth between the people and the Lord. He asks a question, they answer, then he answers, or they ask him one and he answers. We begin in verse 7. Well, let's begin in 6. I've already quoted this. I am the Lord. I change not. And because I don't change, you sons of Jacob are not consumed because I'm a God of grace. Even from the days of your fathers, you are going away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Now, sow the seed of returning to me, and you will reap. I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you then question me and say, wherein shall we return? And you ask, will a man rob God? And God answers, well, you've robbed me. And then the people say, well, wherein have we robbed you, God? And he says, in your tithes and offerings. And then God continues. Because of that, you're cursed with a curse. You're not in the place of blessing. For you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Boy, could that not be said about America? What do you think the total giving to the Lord of the gross national product of the United States is? One percent or less? No doubt. Wherein have you robbed me? You've robbed me with your tithes and offerings. The whole nation is guilty. And then God again speaks. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, I believe the storehouse is the New Testament church. That there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith. Underline that in your Bible. Circle that in your Bible. You see, God throws out a challenge. I want you to practice my principles and prove that those principles hold true in life. Prove me now herewith that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your uh, for you, and, and, and so on. I won't continue with it. God promises us that this principle, this law by which he binds himself, is valid in the area of stewardship. And it begins with God's people hearing the word, faith, believing the word, acting on the word, and then just trusting God with it in the area of their stewardship. The most important thing I can do as a pastor is to lead someone to Christ, to preach the gospel or to talk to an individual where they hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit produces conviction in their heart, and they, they come to Christ. They believe in Christ. That's the most important thing I can ever do, number one, far and away. Number two, the next most important thing I can do is I can teach people how to live by God's principles. And so I go into my study, and I took my, take my books and my Bibles, 
And I study, study, study every week. And I try to dig out those principles, that goal for you. And then I share it with you. And I preach it to you and teach it to you and emphasize it because I'm trying to help you. I want you to see that God is a God who operates by laws and principles in His universe. And if you will repent of your sins and turn to Him and begin to follow Him and learn the Word and inculcate it into your heart and you practice it all week long in God's time, you will receive the blessings of God upon your life. It doesn't mean you're going to not have trouble and you're not going to have problems, but it does mean God will not lie. He will keep His promises to His people. And so we have Stewardship Month every year. You say, why do you have it every year? Well, because a bunch of older preachers told me I ought to have it every year. And when I was a young preacher, I didn't have any better sense than to listen to godly counsel. And boys, that paid off for, for us. I don't have any great secrets, and yet this church is a model for you don't know how many people when it comes to stewardship. And I teach the doctrine because some of you never have heard the doctrine of stewardship expounded in detail, and you don't understand it. And so all you think that when the preacher talks about tithes and offering, he's just raising money. And no, I'm not just raising money. I'm giving you one of the principles by which to live and to have God's blessing upon your life. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 22. Proverbs 10 and 22. And I could quote it. I got it written down here, so I won't forget it. But I want you to underline it, mark it, and circle it, and put a star by it, and and make it to where you'll never miss it again. Proverbs 10 and 22, the blessing of the Lord is what makes rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. My, what a principle. God's blessing is what makes life rich, not having a big bank account, not having a lot of assets, not your balance sheet that makes life rich. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes life rich. And so the principles of God's stewardship law, first of all, to acknowledge that God owns it all. God owns it all. You think you own it? No, you don't own a thing. You're a steward, a manager. You watch over it. You administrate it. You manage what belongs to God. God that house of yours really belongs to God. That car, that bank account, those kids, your time, your abilities, where did they come from? Every one of them. They came right from the Lord Himself. And He's put you in charge of them. He's given them to you. He gives them to us according to our talents and abilities in His providence. And so every year, I teach those simple principles, and I hope that you will obey them because it'll make your life rich. And boy, it has made some people's lives rich here. You know what? This year, 
with all the commotion of COVID and all the other problems that we've had, our attendance way down. Do you know that we had the largest uh, income we've ever had as a church? But that's not even part of it. We had the largest increase we've ever had as a ministry in the worst year we've ever had in every other respect. Do you know why I believe that happened? Because for 50 years we've been pounding away on this, and there's a whole bunch of people here who practice it. And you know, they, you know what they do? They put a seed in the ground, the crop comes up, they give to the Lord generously, they put another seed in the ground, they keep on giving, and then the Lord blesses them again, and now they're, now they're giving far more than, than they ever thought they could because God has blessed them far more than they ever thought He would. Now, here's the, here's the deal on this. People say you don't give to get. Yes, you do. You're wrong. I give to get the harvest so I can give more to get, so I can give more to get, so I can give more to get. That's the principle of the seed time and the harvest in the world of finances. If you ever quit, if you just start getting and not giving, don't expect God to hold up His end of the pole here. It's you give to get, to give to get, to give to get, and so on. And so the promise of, uh, there's no promise of material riches. We're not prosperity theology people. But we do believe there's a promise of God's blessing. And then there's one more area. This law of sowing and the seed time and the harvest and sowing and reaping applies to your spiritual growth. Do you really want to grow spiritually? If you want to grow spiritually, if that's your crop, then you've got to put the seeds in the ground. Oh, preacher, I want to grow in the Lord. Well, I don't see any evidence of it. I don't see you putting a seed there. You've got to plant the seeds if you want to grow in the Lord, and we should want to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in grace and in knowledge and in, in, your, in your relationship with the Lord. And growth for us is spiritually is perpetual. It's not temporary. It's not we grow through our, like we do physically through our childhood and teenage years, and then we get to a point we don't grow anymore. No, God's people are to grow until the day that you turn up your toes, to the day that they plant you away. You are to keep on growing in your spiritual life. And how do you do it? Let me tell you what the seeds are real quick. The seeds of spiritual growth are daily Bible study and reading. Ah, you, you, didn't, you knew where I was going. You want to grow? What are the seeds you've got to plant? Daily Bible study and reading of the Word of God, studying His Word, learning it, reminding yourself of it over and over. Secondly, there's the seed of prayer. The seed of prayer leads to spiritual growth. Daily thanksgiving and confession of sin and then asking God for your request. There's a seed of faithful attendance at church. 
don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I'm just going to tell you what I deeply believe, that when you cease to be faithful in your church and worship attendance, you, take your, you remove yourself from the place of God's richest blessing in your life. Oh, you'll get by, sure. But it's important. If you want the blessing of God, you obey the principles that God has commanded. There's the seed of witnessing, vital to your spiritual growth. Once you begin, once you submit yourself to the idea, I'm going to be a faithful witness for the Lord, your spiritual growth is going to take off. You're going to flourish. God has not promised to bless our silence. He's promised to bless us in our witness. And then, of course, there's the seed of giving. I just talked about that. Now, look up here and listen to me. If you're here today and you don't have assurance of heaven, there's some seeds you need to, to plant. And it's just two. One is repentance, to change your mind about your sin, yourself, and the Lord Jesus. We've defined that many times for you. Plant the seed of repentance and plant the seed of faith. I believe the gospel. I don't deserve it. I am a sinner. There's a penalty of death upon my sins, and I'm bearing it in my body right now. But the Lord said, if I will put my trust and confidence and belief in Him, that He will come into my life. He will give me a whole new life. He will energize me through the Holy Spirit with a new birth and give me a whole new realm of living. And if I'll trust Him, that will be true. And you know what the harvest is? When a person repents and a person trusts Christ, they have eternal life. Now, what a wonderful crop God gives us. Will you bow your head with me in prayer?